Hi everyone, um, today's reading is from Numbers um, chapter 9 verses 1 to 14 and it would be great if you would read along with me. The Passover The Lord spoke to Moses in the desert of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they came out of Egypt. He said, Have the Israelites celebrate the Passover at the appointed time. Celebrate it at the appointed time at twilight on the 14th day of this month in accordance with all its rules and regulations. So Moses told the Israelites to celebrate the Passover, and they did so in the desert of Sinai at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. The Israelites did everything just as the Lord commanded Moses. But some of them could not celebrate the Passover on that day because they were ceremonially unclean because of a dead body. So they came to Moses and Aaron that same day. And said to Moses, We have become unclean because of a dead body. But why should we be kept from presenting the Lord's offering with the other Israelites at the appointed time? Moses answered them, Wait until I find out what the Lord commands concerning you. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, When any of you or your descendants are unclean because of a dead body, or are away on a journey, they may still celebrate the Lord's Passover. They are to celebrate it on the 14th day of the second month at twilight. They are to eat the lamb together with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They must not leave any of it till morning or break any of its bones. When they celebrate the Passover, they must follow all the regulations. But if a man who is ceremonially clean and not on a journey fails to celebrate the Passover, that person must be cut off from his people because he did not present the Lord's offering at the appointed time. That man will bear the consequences of his sin. An alien living among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must do so in accordance with its rules and regulations. You must have the same regulations for the alien and the native-born. Good to see you all. You all doing okay? Anybody needs to stand up, turn around, shake. I'm not sure you're allowed to share sweets during a corona epidemic, but um, yeah, enjoy the sweets you have with you if you do. It's good to see you all. Um, Lucy, I'm loving the idea that your parents are at home dancing this morning. It's class. I I would actually pay money to see a photograph or a video of that. And it's it's made me think any of our at-home church, uh, whether you're in Belfast or Ballygown or Newtonards or Seinfeld, whether you're in Scotland or England, South Africa, wherever you are in the world, if you are having a boogie during worship or in the intro music, send us a photograph of that, will you? I would love to see that and share that, just for a bit of crack. Um, I, I don't know whether you will or not, but it would be kind of fun. Um, the other thing I have to clarify for the record is that after announcing my family were in their jammies last week, I got a, a fairly stern text to say, no, we are actually dressed. So, sorry, Lara, kids, there we go. Um, the, the other thing I should share is that we have had two birthday parties in our house this weekend. Uh, a seven-year-old became an eight-year-old, a 10-year-old became an 11-year-old, and I've had chocolate for breakfast this morning, so I'm a little bit wired. So um, good luck with that. We'll see how it goes. Let's pray before we step into and listen for what God is saying to us through these words that Stephen read. Father, we love your word because it is your word, and we love you 
We love time in your presence. We love gathering with your people. We love being still in those quiet moments at the beginning of the day with an open Bible and a cup of coffee and listening for your voice. God, we love you and we, we want to be a church and we want to be a people and we want to be individuals who, who position ourselves under the authority of your word. And so this morning, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. There's so much in this world that masquerades as truth, but, but we know, Lord, that your word is truth because you are truth. So allow your spirit to bring life to these words on the page and form our minds and form our hearts so that we can live not in this building, but in this world as your people and your body. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Oh, okay. Um, so as Lucy said earlier, last week, um, if you noticed online or in the news, it was World Alzheimer's Day. The previous week in the UK was uh, Dementia, Dementia Carers Day. And increasingly, this is a, a, an illness or a, a body of illnesses that impact more and more of the senior members of our family, of our church family, of our wider society. Uh, an, an illness that damages and eats away at the brain and affects memory and even affects identity. And so we just wanted to take a moment this morning to pray for those families with loved ones who, who are walking that path and to reach out and to say, we love you and we care about you. And if there's anything we can do to help, please contact us. I remember as a, as a brand sparkling new minister um, going to my first proper church in Balamoney um, and going to do some house visits in those days when you could visit people in their house and shake hands and be closer than two meters apart from each other. Do you remember those days, the good old days? Um, but I remember doing a visit and it was a family who the, the lady in the house had really advanced dementia. She'd been this wonderful, vibrant character in the community, in the church, and then had this rapid onset of, of dementia. And she found herself living in the upstairs part of the house, uh, being completely cared for, um, minimal communication, incredibly anxious, couldn't content herself, couldn't settle herself. It was a heartbreaking situation. And I called at the house, I spent time with her husband, we talked extensively, uh, prayed with him, and then I asked, could, could I see his wife? And he said, yeah, but he wasn't sure how it was going to go, and he, he didn't want my presence to upset her, and I, I totally understood that. But he brought me upstairs, and she was walking around the room, just pacing, pacing, constantly, and I sat down in a seat in the corner, and he sat down in a seat, there was another chair as well. And I introduced myself as wearing a collar. I was clearly a minister. Uh, you could probably guess at that these days. But um, I said to her, listen, I would love to read the 23rd Psalm with you. And this lady just racked with, with dementia and anxiety. 
as she heard the words of the 23rd Psalm being read, came and sat down and reached out her hand and put her hand on top of mine and allowed me to read those words with her and allowed me to pray with her. It's the sense of the presence of God in the room in that moment was incredible. And this this disease that, that ravages the mind and robs people of their memories and alters identity, and I don't pretend to be an expert in it. Uh, there's so much more to it. What, what I've come to discover, it, it doesn't touch the soul. And things that, that God has been doing in that person's life are undiminished by the illness. And her faith was every bit as real, even though so much else of her had been lost. Her faith was every bit as real. I, I share that story because this morning I, I want to talk about memories and how we remember and remembering back and then the power of memories to form us and bring us forward. And I, I don't pretend to be an expert in how we, we process memory. There are psychologists and psychiatrists and um, doctors that specialize in neurology that, that could say a lot more about this than I could. But in my simplistic understanding, we process memory in two different ways. We have declarative memory and we have procedural or non-declarative memory. Declarative memory is, is the recall of facts. Things that, that we have consciously learnt that we then recall. So on a Friday, my, my daughters go into school to do a Friday test. And they will all week have been learning spellings through repetition. And on Friday they go in and they use their declarative memory to try and recall how you spell those words. So... Um, for example, they will come in and one of the spellings is bicycle and they'll be thinking B, I, C and they'll recall having learnt it and try to bring that memory to the forefront of their minds to put it on the page. You with me? Yeah, okay. That's declarative memory. Procedural memory is different. Procedural memory is not the recalling of facts but um, it's... It's a much more experiential type of memory. So how you remember how to spell bicycle, well, B, I, C. And you have to consciously think about it. But, but for either of my daughters or for myself, to ride a bicycle, it's not something I have to think about. I've learned that when I was a kid. They've learned it years ago as well. And now when a bicycle comes out, I know to throw my leg over, jump on, cycle down the street. I don't have to think how to do it. It's instinct. That's why there's a saying, it's like riding a bike. You know what I mean? But it's not just that the act of riding the bike that gets conjured up during procedural memories. It's also all of the, the emotions of the experiences that you've had when you identify with that as well. So when I get on my bicycle, I have memories of, of being a child and cycling around the caravan park and the freedom of being away from my parents and out with my mates on the bicycle cycling. And all of that freedom and the joy comes back to me. However, when I go a little bit too fast, I get anxious and I say panicky because when I was a kid, I was racing my friend on his bicycle down the street. And like your, your street is meters upon meters wide and a lamppost is about this wide. And in the whole meters and meters down the street, I managed to hit the lamppost and broke my bicycle into three parts and black eye, bruised face, horrendous experience. 
When I go too fast on a bicycle today, that memory comes flooding back to me and I find myself breaking suddenly. It's not conscious recall, it's lived experience. You with me? There is declarative memory, conscious recall. There is procedural memory, which is the experience that is embedded in your subconscious that rises up within you along with all of the emotions. Sometimes those are negative when we've been hurt in the past or when somebody has let us down, and now we find it hard to trust people. Other times they're positive and can be really, really helpful. Why am I sharing all of this stuff with you today? And I apologize if I've misunderstood any of that, but you're with me. You get what I'm saying. Why am I sharing that with you? Because it's helpful, I think, as we look at this text this morning. It's helpful to grasp that. You see, up until now, um, the Passover in the lives of the Hebrew people has been an event a one-off event. We read about it in the book of Exodus where the Hebrew people had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They cried out to God. God sent Moses, the the rescuer, the deliverer, to come, and, and he came. And there was all the different plagues. We looked at these last year. You can go back and listen to the sermon series on them. All the different plagues that came. And then the final plague, um, God said, I am going to strike down the firstborn in every Egyptian household. And this is going to be the act that I use to bring deliverance to the people. And so while the Hebrew people were following God's instruction and sharing a meal of bitter herbs and unleavened bread and um, a lamb that had been sacrificed, the angel of death passed through Egypt and the firstborn in every house was struck down who, who weren't celebrating this meal and obeying God. And that was the Passover meal. That was the event that had happened. But now what we see in Numbers 9, an event becomes a ritual. An event becomes a ritual. If you're, if you're geeking out on this stuff, you might notice that the, the, chronolo- the chronology, the chronological order of the um, story This is actually, even though it's in chapter 9, it's actually the first event that happens in the timeline of the book of Numbers. It happens before the census. It happens before the other things are are communicated. This is such a priority to God that this is the first thing that happens in the book of Numbers, according to the chronology. This is the moment the event becomes the ritual. This is the moment that God says, this isn't something we did. This is something I want you to do and do again and do again and do again. When God speaks to Moses as a little park bench aside, have you noticed how often that those words are used in Numbers? The Lord spoke to Moses. The Lord spoke to the people. The Lord spoke to Moses again and again and again. Nothing is done by intuition, but always by revelation. God is a God who speaks. When God speaks to Moses, look in these verses in chapter 9, how strong he is. He says, make the Israelites celebrate this meal. He doesn't throw it up as an optional extra. A tag on, you can choose to come to church, you can choose to take it. He says, make the Israelites celebrate this meal. It's strong, isn't it? Make the Israelites gather for this moment. Make the Israelites celebrate this sacrifice. And not just once, but every year at this month, at this time. 
Make them do it. Make them do it. Make them do it. Last week we had Johnny, one of our elders, preaching. He was preaching on those wonderful words in number six, the ironic blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. Do you remember that? Did you hear it? Were you here? Did you catch it online? Um, wonderful, wonderful sermon, wonderful teaching on an amazing text. This idea of as God's people, we are to live in God's blessing and we are to live out God's blessing. And what God is saying is if you want to be a people who receive my blessing, who steward my blessing, who release my blessing, then you must celebrate this meal. There's something vitally important about this meal. And I love the lengths he goes to. Look at verse 6, if you've got an open Bible with you. Um, In verse 6, there's an acknowledgement that some people aren't going to be able to celebrate the meal. Some people are unclean. Some people have, have, in this case, they've touched a dead body and now they are physically and spiritually unclean and don't feel worthy to come. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're at home this morning. And you distance yourself from communion. You distance yourself from other Christians. Or you come into the room, but, but you hang back because you don't feel worthy to come. You think to yourself, those Christians, they've got it sorted. They're all holy Joes. They, they never do anything bad, think anything bad. But if you knew what my life was like, if you knew the mistakes that I had made, and you, and, and you hang back, And yet look at the lengths that God goes to to make sure that those people who are unclean can still participate in this meal. God makes a way for you to be clean. God makes a way for you to come and be involved. Don't hang back. God's heart is of welcome. God's heart is to draw you in this morning. Look at at verse 14. Some of you, you don't come, God says, because you feel like you don't belong. The, the old language is the alien amongst us that just conjures up images of little green Martians with antennae, doesn't it? It's talking about foreign nationals. People who, who maybe haven't been born in this country, have been born in a different country, maybe look different, maybe they, they speak English but with an accent that sounds different. And now they, they find themselves living in Belfast, living on the Castlereagh Road, living here. And they feel they can't belong because they're different. And God says, for the alien, for the foreigner, for the foreign national living amongst you, treat them like a native born. Open your doors. Open this table. Open this Passover meal to them. Welcome them in. Allow them to be part of the community. I love, I, I love the fact that we've got this friendship, this partnership with Windsor Presbyterian. I, even if you're watching this morning, just a lot of love to you and your congregation today. Um, and it, it's just given us so much opportunity to, um, to partner with the work that they're doing through International Meeting Point with uh, for the foreign national community, with, with refugees, with asylum seekers who find themselves here, who need help getting on their feet. And even over lockdown, it's been wonderful to, to, to reach out to and to love and to help and to bless our brothers and sisters who have been born somewhere else and now live amongst us. 
I love that friendship that we have, that partnership that we have. I, I love that we have um, a connection out in Athens with Helping Hands, this ministry that works amongst the refugee community in that city. And two of our own, Noah and Susie, technically three of our own now with Baby Hope class. And you guys are watching this morning, a lot of love to you as well from Orangefield here in Belfast. I love the fact that through lockdown, you've been making food packages and reaching out to and loving and blessing the refugee community there in Athens on your doorstep. And we continue to support you and pray for you regularly. Because God welcomes, God's heart is welcome, God's heart is inclusion. God's heart is not that anybody excludes themselves or hangs back, but he makes a way. He he makes a way. I love the fact that God sees the parts of society that most of us walk past with blinkers on. And he steps in to those places. And he says, you are welcome. And as God's people, we are called to have eyes that see what God sees. This family here in Orangefield has open doors. Do not exclude yourself because you think you're not good enough. Do not exclude yourself because you think you don't belong. This is an open family and this is an open table and we welcome you. In Jesus' name, we welcome you. I love the length that God goes to to make sure nobody is excluded from this meal. In fact, in verse 13, we, we, we see that so, so clearly. We see God's heart that everyone is welcomed. That God sees every fear, every hurt, every loneliness, every brokenness, every pain. And he says, you are welcome. Let me forgive you. Let me redeem you. Let me love you. Let me restore you. But he never forces. He opens the door and he opens the table and he says, come. And then he says, but if anybody excludes themselves, if anybody chooses not to come, that's on them. That's not on me, God says. That's on them. Guys, the only thing keeping you from a life of forgiveness and a life of peace and a life with the promise of eternal life, the only thing keeping you from that is you. God has done everything that is necessary for you to be forgiven, for you to be restored, for you to be welcomed. Please don't hang back. Please don't stand back. God's heart is for you to come. God's heart is for you to come. That's why God says, make them celebrate this meal. Make them celebrate this meal. It's important to know the story. We teach it to our kids in Salt in Sunday school. We, we do it now as well as adults. It's important to know the story. But this is more than declarative memory. The celebration of Passover, and for us, communion in a few moments' time, the celebration of Passover was about more than making sure they knew the facts of the story. That was part of it. Don't misunderstand me. Doctrine, theology are key. It's part of it, but it's more than that. It's more than declarative memory. God said, make them celebrate this meal Do it regularly, do it annually, on this date, on this month, on this day. 
And the reason was he wanted them every time they tasted the bitter herbs to be transported in their memory back into Egypt, into the pain and suffering of sin and slavery. Not just to remember the fact, but to allow the emotions of that to rise up within them. He wanted them to to take the unleavened bread and break it and share it and to do it with their staff in their hand and their sandals on their feet that there's a sense of urgency. They couldn't wait for the yeast to rise in the dough. They had to do it there and then. There was a sense of urgency. There was a sense of expectation, a sense of desire. He wanted them to, to share the sacrificial lamb. And to take the blood and splash it on the doorposts of their tents and of their homes. To recognize that that this death and this blood is the cost of deliverance, the price of freedom. He wanted them to experience that, to be transported back into that. Not just simply to recall the facts, but to have the story of that embedded within them. He wanted them to take the, the Passover cup the cup of wine, the cup of blessing, the cup of covenant promise. And to taste it and to know the promise of God that things are going to be better. That what they're experiencing today is not the end of the story, that God is at work and there is blessing to come. He wanted them to enter into the experience of that, not just to remember the story, But more than that, the repetition of this meal is not simply about remembering the facts, but about allowing the the story, the truth of Yahweh, the character of our God, the heart of our God, the power of our God, the love of our God, the character of Yahweh to be embedded into their subconscious. Because as you read through the book of Numbers, you see battles and you see doubts and you see rebellion and you see plagues and you see all kinds of things that are going to try to distort and distract and make them compromise and make them turn back. And God says, I want you to have this meal, not simply to know the story, but so that your very instincts is when things go bad, is to lift your eyes to God and say, our God is good, our God is sovereign, our God saves. And yes, this is hard today, but God is over and above the storm. God wanted that to become their instinct. They could recall the facts, but he wanted that to be their instinct. They had declarative memory of the Exodus story, But God wanted them to have procedural memory to embed through this meal into their subconscious. And for 1,500 years, this meal shaped, shaped the identity of God's people until that night in an upper room at a Passover table when Jesus took a piece of bread the piece of unleavened bread that was to be used for the Passover. And he interrupted the ritual and he broke it. And he said, friends, this this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And they looked at each other and they didn't understand what he was saying. And he took the cup 
of wine, the Passover cup of wine from the table. He said, this cup is the new covenant sealed by my blood. The new covenant? What's the new covenant, they said? It's the new covenant sealed by my blood. Drink from it. And every time you do, remember me. The disciples would remember that night. They could recall the facts of Jesus interrupting the Passover tradition, doing and saying some things at that table slightly differently. They could recall the facts, but the next day, when Jesus was arrested in the middle of that night, the next day, the shouts of the crowd and the religious leaders and the Roman soldiers, the weeping in the streets of his friends as they saw him getting beaten and brought through those streets carrying the cross, the sounds of the nail splintering bone and wood as it was driven through his wrist into the cross, the gasping for breath, the penetrating darkness that came across the whole city, the slow, agonizing death of crucifixion. As they, his friends, witnessed that, Jesus' words ringing in their ears, this is my body broken for you. This cup is the new covenant sealed by my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The realization that in that moment what Jesus was talking about, what Passover had been pointing towards was this moment on the cross the price of forgiveness, the depth of love when the Son of God opened his hands and allowed his body to be broken, his blood to be shed, when he became the sacrificial lamb of God for your sins and for my sins. Jesus didn't replace the Passover. He fulfilled the Passover. And I can guarantee you those disciples never sat at a table and broke bread and lifted the cup again without being back at the foot of the cross, reliving and seeing again the depth of God's love for them, the magnitude of his forgiveness over them. And so we sing how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Every sin, every brokenness, every mistake, every unworthiness that you feel that you think should exclude you from coming to this place and being part of this family. Jesus died on the cross to say, you are welcome. Jesus died on the cross to say, you are loved. Jesus died on the cross to say, you can be forgiven and made new. Those mistakes, those regrets, those shames, you don't have to carry them forever. Jesus can make you new. 
for the followers of Jesus. The ritual of Passover became communion and for 2,000 years we have gathered together in Orangefield. We do it every month. Today we're, we're in the building and we're online but we're together. The ritual of Passover became the ritual of the Lord's Supper of communion. And the repetition of this meal, doing it so often, it reminds us of the facts, it reminds us of the story, but it's more than that. As we participate in this meal, and in a moment that's exactly what we're about to do, participate in this meal. As we participate in this meal, I want to invite you to allow yourself to be transported back through every mistake and every shame and every disappointment and every hurt that that you have felt. And then to journey back through that to the foot of the cross, to that moment when the Lamb of God gave his life to cover all of that pain and shame in your life so that you can be forgiven and you can be made new. Every mistake, every doubt, every battle, every fear, every loneliness, as we participate in this meal and we do it again and again and again, we remember the story, but it starts to shape our subconscious. It starts to fill our procedural memories. It forms our minds, it forms our hearts. So that not just in this moment, but when you step out these doors into a world that is going to seek to rob you of your humanity and to rob you of your dignity and to get in between and and disconnect you and, and get in between our unity and to rob you of hope. In a world that is trying to take things off you and give nothing back, your very instinct becomes, I am loved. Jesus died for me and I am loved no matter what the world throws at me this week. My my, my instinct is to look to Jesus in every battle and say, I am loved. I am loved. And so that's my heart for you this morning. At home, with your bread and juice beside you, you you're welcome to participate. In the building, we have little pods like this. We're doing it this way because of just hygiene and the corona and risk of infection. We invite you to pick one up. And in a moment, not just yet, but in a moment, we tear back the, open co- the top bit, the plastic bit, and there's a little piece of bread wafer there. We'll take it together. And then... Tear the second, the foil layer off, and the communion juice is there. Don't open it just yet. Can we pray together? Let's pray. Father, we come today not by our own merit, not by our own perfection, not even by our own righteousness, because in our most honest moments, we want to acknowledge 
that we fall short of your standard of perfection. We come with with broken hearts. We come having made mistakes. We come having said and done things or, 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 or left other things unsaid or undone that have caused neglect or hurt or pain. We come, Lord, carrying memories of our own, things that have been done to us and spoken over us, that have hurt us, and have made it hard for us to believe that we can be loved, that we can be forgiven, that we can be welcomed. And we've allowed those words to carry with us and form us. But this morning, Lord, we lift our eyes to you, to the cross of your son, Jesus Christ. We lift our eyes to you and we we say, Holy Spirit, come now and fill every mind and, and every heart and begin a reformation process in how we see ourselves and how we see others. Come, Lord, and minister into those tender parts of our lives, those places of hurt where trust has been weakened, where relationship has been diminished. Come, Lord, and take those words that have been spoken over individuals that that have left them for 30, 40 years thinking that they are less than or they are worthless. And Lord, continue to minister to us as we share this meal that we will have our hearts reformed, softened, in a way that we can walk through this week knowing that we are loved. That we can see other people through your eyes, Lord. Holy Spirit, won't you come on this bread and this this wine, this juice? And minister to us as we remember and as we seek to live each day as a remembering people. Jesus, thank you that you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Thank you that you are the Lamb of God who takes away my sin. In Jesus' name. Amen.